Welcome to MCS Pentecast, Pentecostal podcast about theology and life in the Spirit, featuring both scholars and practitioners. MCS Pentecasts are produced by Masters College and Seminary in Ontario, Canada. I'm Van Johnson, Dean of Masters Pentecostal Seminary. Hi, this is Peter Newman, Assistant Academic Dean of Masters Pentecostal Bible College. In this Pentecast, Dr. Van Johnson addresses the question, What is a Pentecostal Church? It's common for people whose background is not Pentecostal to find themselves in one of our churches. Dr. Johnson was invited to speak to such a group, the Newcomers Class, at Aging Court Pentecostal Church, Toronto, on Sunday morning, January 20th, 2013. This podcast is the answer Dr. Johnson gave to them about the nature of a Pentecostal church. There are two parts. In the first, he locates Pentecostalism on the map of world Christianity. In the second, he describes the characteristics of a Pentecostal church by imagining them as part of a wheel, a Pentecostal wheel. Let's ask the Lord's help, and then we're going to jump into it. You ready? Glad you're all here. Thank you. Lord, we do prize the fact that you have allowed us to come to know you. We prize the fact that we are part of a church that believes in your kingdom. So, Lord, we do pray that in these next moments, as we think about the church, the church you've placed us in, that you will allow us to catch another vision again of why we are here in the church, so we might find your pla- our place, Lord, in your work. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this is great. Stay ready. So, you are in a Pentecostal church. What does that mean? Because it's a church, it means that this is one of many churches God has used through the centuries to move ahead his great saving work for the planet. Because it's a Pentecostal church, it's part of one of the rather newer movements that God has raised up. God, in different centuries, raises up movements to correct the the direction the church is going in to pursue his purposes. Pentecostals are one of those groups. So when you come to a Pentecostal church, you are joining a movement that's about 110 years old. Have you seen um, the app called Google Earth? It's, it's available wherever you Google, right? Google Earth. And if, and if you go there, you can key in anything you want. You ever tried this? You'll see the globe appear on your screen or your little device. You tap in something and all of a sudden the world starts spinning and it'll start wide, right? You're going over oceans and continents. Then all of a sudden as you're getting close to your destination, it starts slowing down and then starts to focus in. If there was a Google church app, it would start wide and then slowly focus in. So if we were to open a Google church app, with which, which one of you very bright people uh, might, might create, and you put Pentecostal church in there, the globe would start spinning. But you know what it would take us back to? It would take us right back to, to Genesis. It would take us right back to the beginning because that's where the whole mission of God starts. And our church finds its place in this large mission. You know what we'd go back to in particular? This is Genesis chapter 3. God makes a perfect earth. He makes paradise and puts two, so far, so good people in it. Adam and Eve. 
Well, you know the story. They break faith with God. They decide to do their thing. And all of a sudden, paradise has perversion in it. And so begins the great biblical story of what God does in response. The simplest way to describe what's in the Bible is to tell somebody that the Bible is the record of how God responds to human failure. And so even though the church officially doesn't start till the time of Jesus, well, let's go back. So how does God respond? God responds by calling a man, Abraham, and saying to Abraham, here is the covenant, here's the agreement I'm making with you. I'm going to choose you, your wife Sarah, even though you can't have any kids naturally, and I'm going to make you into a great nation, Israel. I will be your God, I will bless you. And then note this, sometimes when you go into the Old Testament, it's easy to think that Maybe the story doesn't really involve you yet. You keep waiting to get to the part where you, you see yourself in it. Here's where, here's where you appear, where I appear. God says to Abraham, I will bless your nation, and through you all nations on earth will be blessed. But Israel is unable to do what God called her to do, unable to bring joy and salvation to the world. They needed a Messiah. And so God does in Jesus, the perfect Jew, what Israel was unable to do. Bring salvation and joy to the world. Okay, so the app has now moved us to Jerusalem and the site of Jesus' death and resurrection. That moment in history where everything changed, where it became clear to the witnesses that saw him resurrected, that life would not simply be a world spinning out of control towards death and decay. Something had changed at that moment. And so the story of the early church, where the church begins. Now, one of the New Testament writers is particularly intriguing for Pentecostals, and that's Luke. There's a gospel named after him and the book of Acts. Luke's probably writing about 30 years after Jesus, about 30 years. And Luke writes to remind the church that the spirit of the living God is not just to help those in the church, but Luke writes to remind the church that the spirit is also about the mission of God to restore the world, that the spirit is also about enabling individuals to witness so that people might come to Jesus, to Christ. Okay, so, uh, so we hit the arrow on our app, and now we're in the 300s. The, the, the church would face a lot of persecution. They would be on the margins of Roman society until, in the early 300s, because of Emperor Constantine, Christianity becomes legal. <laughs> hey, and by the end of the century, by the end of the 300s, the church actually becomes the official state church. Christianity actually becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire. And so you lay the seeds for the Roman Catholic or universal church. Okay, let's, let's, hit our, let's hit our arrow button. We need to, this podcast shouldn't go on until Jesus returns. So let's, let's, let's get this moving faster. Okay, so uh, we're, we're, we're moving into Germany here. 1500s, Germany, 1500s, Martin Luther who feels that some correction, of course, is needed for the church. 
He's part of the Roman Catholic Church, but he puts up a protest that things are not as they should be. From Martin Luther, amongst the, the important ideas that have affected us, let me mention two. And by the way, this great reformation, right, going back to Martin Luther, is the birth of the whole Protestant wing of the church. Of course, Pentecostals are part of the, Pente- uh, of the Protestant wing of the church. Luther's two great ideas. We must remember that salvation comes through faith, and as they like to say it, faith alone. No works, no traditions, you're saved by faith alone. And the other thing that that was of great concern to Luther was that the only authority, absolute authority for God on earth would be the Bible, the word of God. No church tradition, no papal council, not even the pope. We will stand with the word, the scriptures alone. Certainly the Pentecostals will find their, their, some of their roots in the Reformation. We believe that a person is saved because they trust Jesus. <laughs> saved because they put their trust in Jesus. And you'll know, notice the importance we put on the preaching of the word in this church. To preach the word is a sacred event in a Pentecostal church. Okay, let's, let's spin a little ahead to the UK, to Oxford, 1700s, John Wesley. Now, Wesley is part of our longer tradition in history because Wesley is part of the beginning of the evangelical movement, Protestant movement starting in the 1500s, some of the churches that emerge out of the Reformation, the Reformed churches, Presbyterian churches, Lutheran churches. 1700s, Wesley... What's going on in the UK with Wesley and soon in the United States and in Germany is the beginning of the evangelical movement. Pentecostals are part of the evangelical movement. And in the evangelical movement, uh, there is a emphasis put upon the fact that not only are you saved by faith alone, but that has to be a decision you make. What Wesley was reacting against was the idea that you could be born into the church. That if you were christened, that somebody wrote your name down in the right book. In other words, it's as if somebody could write your name down in the book of life. The evangelical movement says, no, no one can decide this for you. No one can baptize you as an infant into the church. You must be born again by your decision. So here's the beginning of the evangelical movement. Okay, but there's another idea that was important for Pentecostals. Of course, the idea that you have to decide yourself. At the end of a typical Pentecostal church service, you will have people being asked, do they want to follow Jesus? Do they want to trust Jesus? But here's the other idea. And now we're getting, now we're starting to see the beginning of Pentecost more clearly. It's, it's, it's still a click or two away, but we're getting there. Wesley said, there are two great moments in the life of a believer, transformational moments. One comes at salvation where you now stand right before God. One comes at conversion, salvation, where all of a sudden you make your commitment to Jesus. But Wesley said there is another moment that comes later after conversion, another crisis moment that changes you. And for Wesley, this second moment, which the Spirit makes possible, is a moment when you become holy. Now, now, Wesley would have used the term sanctification. You become sanctified. You become holy. 
And Wesley thought that a person had to discipline himself or herself and work with the Spirit to be able to arrive at that moment where they became so baptized with with the Spirit in terms of love that all of a sudden, for the first time in their life, they really do want to be like Jesus. Wesley had a lot of Christians who thought he had gone much too far. But the Pentecostals who will come a little under 200 years later will think that idea was right and think that, that there is another moment in a Christian's life following conversion where they are baptized by the Spirit, not so much for holiness now, but to be a part of the mission of God. Okay, one more click, and then uh, then this Google Church app will bring us right into the Pentecostal movement. Let's go to the United States now in the 1980s, 1970s or 1700s, John Wesley, beginning of the evangelical movement, 1800s. A movement starts in the United States that spreads into Canada called the Holiness Movement. The Holiness people were trying to keep alive what Wesley had seen, that there should be a day when Christians become more like Jesus because of a special work that comes upon them. And so the Holiness Movement is attempting to encourage people not to get distracted with the world, but to keep pursuing, keep pursuing. Out of the Holiness Movement in the late 1800s comes some church organizations whose names you probably know. Salvation Army, Church of the Nazarene, Christian Missionary Alliance. Okay, and now the app is zooming right in. And in the early 1900s, out of the holiness movement, the first Pentecostal. In April of 1906, a Pentecostal revival starts in Los Angeles on Azusa Street. In November of 1906, independently of what's going on in L.A., a Pentecostal revival starts, well, just down the road from where I'm standing today. Queen Street East, just off the Don Valley. November 1906, Pentecost starts in Canada. Okay, so far so good? So the app is the app has given us a little bit of overview through time and space. Okay, so you are sitting right now in a Pentecostal church. So let's focus in more on what a Pentecostal church is and, and what it looks like. If I was going to try to uh, tell you about what a Pentecostal church looks like, I would probably diagram it using a wheel. So if you're listening to this, Uh, You'll have to imagine the way this wheel looks as I describe it to you. But let me say, before we start, that though Pentecostals share a common tradition, not all Pentecostal churches look the same. In other words, the Pentecostal church is not part of a franchise like McDonald's. Look, you can go globally and find a McDonald's that even though maybe the building is going to look a little bit different, it's McDonald's. I mean, the arches are there, and they are still golden. And the food is the great, high-quality caliber of food you have come to expect wherever you go into a McDonald's. <laughs> McDonald's makes money by being the same wherever they go. Pentecostalism is not like that. And so Pentecostal churches differ around the world. Pentecostalism is a global movement. 
And Pentecostal churches differ in Toronto. They differ in Winnipeg. And that's good. Because one of the great strengths of Pentecostal churches is this. That they try to be sensitive to the type of people they are ministering to so that they can be as effective as possible in being part of the great mission of God to save the world. So as I'm describing these characteristics of a Pentecostal church, uh, some will fit some will fit a particular Pentecostal church better than others. So what I'm saying then is that not every Pentecostal church will look the same. Not every Pentecostal pastor looks like your Pentecostal senior pastor here. That, that's yes, that's a that is a good thing. Not every Pentecostal worship team will sound like the worship team that you will hear this morning. That's a good thing. But there are some common aspects of our tradition that you should know about. Okay, so I imagine describing Pentecostal churches with a wheel. On the rim of the wheel, the entry point into a Pentecostal church are three phrases. Experience with God through the Holy Spirit intimacy with Jesus. The rim of the wheel is the way that one enters a Pentecostal church. Now, of course, you can enter a Pentecostal church anytime it's open between 9 to 5 in your local community, and you can enter on a Sunday morning. That's not what I mean. Going back to the early days of the Pentecostal movement, one didn't so much walk into a building as they walked into the presence of God. For Pentecostals, the way you become part of a Pentecostal church is not signing something or giving something, but by experiencing the presence of God in such a way that it changes you. This has always been the way. And so Pentecostals are those who believe that the same life-transforming experiences that Christians had in the first century We are still having today. People are still being saved and changed. They're still being healed, changed, delivered, absolutely delivered. They're still being baptized in the spirit, which changes what they are able to do for Jesus. Pentecostalism has always believed that you don't so much enter a Pentecostal church as enter the presence of God. And when you've entered the presence of God, you are then able to experience transformation. So the way in is experience with God through the Holy Spirit. Pentecostals are not focused on the Holy Spirit. You will notice in a typical Pentecostal church that we don't sing all of our songs about the Spirit, but we are very conscious of the presence of the Spirit. And the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the work of the Spirit in any Pentecostal church is to draw you into the presence of God, lead you to the Father, and lead you to the Son. In fact, for early Pentecostals, after they had had this encounter with God, this transformational moment, they they would describe what had occurred to them as having a new love for Jesus, a new sense of intimacy with Jesus. Pentecostals are not focused on the Spirit. They're focused on Jesus and and His work in the world, and they want to be a part of it. Okay, so the rim, the entry, is this experience with God. By the way, let me say it again. Pentecostals do not mean to be exclusive by making an experience a way in. 
they mean to be inclusive because they think that everyone can have a life-changing experience with God. Okay, so far so good? Okay, now at the center of the wheel, the, the axle around which the Pentecostal wheel moves forward, the, the idea that makes sense of everything else that Pentecostals think and do, at the very center is Jesus, of course, but Jesus soon coming king. You can't understand the early Pentecostals of 110 years ago without understanding that the central idea for them, what drove them to do things that they would never have done otherwise, was that Jesus was coming soon and they had to do something about it. Look, this is not just a Pentecostal idea. You can't understand the Christian's that we encounter in the New Testament without dealing with the fact that they thought that Jesus was coming so soon that they did things that they never would have done otherwise. So this is very much a New Testament belief. And when the Pentecostal movement starts about 110 years ago, they are convinced that this is the last of the last days. This is it. And so the reason that the return of Jesus is in, in the middle of the circle is that some of the other characteristics, the thoughts and actions of Pentecostals, the other spokes of the wheel, you can't understand them without understanding that they were obsessed with a passion to do something unusual because Jesus was coming. That's still at the heart of a Pentecostal church. Okay, So the rim is this experience with God and And Pentecostals would think we are experiencing the presence of God because unusual things are happening because Jesus is coming soon. Now, let let me take a few moments and describe some of the other spokes of the wheel that are all centered around the return of Jesus. First of all, let's talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit or spirit baptism. If you've been in a Pentecostal church for a while, you probably heard this. In fact, you probably know, you probably know at least that Pentecostals are famous for speaking in tongues. You may never have heard the terminology baptism of the spirit or, or spirit baptism. There's a water baptism that is associated with conversion. There's a spirit baptism that Pentecostals think, like Wesley did, comes sometime later. So whether you know the term Pentecostals like to use or you know they like to speak in tongues, note I didn't put that at the middle of the wheel. That's something that's important to Pentecostals, but the most important thing to Pentecostals is not what they are due, but who is coming, right? What they do, but who is coming. But this is very important to Pentecostals. So please note that what Pentecostals think the baptism of the Spirit is by starting with what they believe it is not. Pentecostals do not believe that speaking in tongues, this this sign that the baptism of the Spirit has occurred, they do not believe that that makes them elite Christians. They do not believe that speaking in tongues makes them more holy. Now, hopefully, after such a transformational moment, they will have renewed passion for Jesus, new love for Jesus. But, But that event is not because they are better people, nor does it make them special in such a way that that sets them apart. What it does is the baptism of the Spirit, biblically speaking, and for all Pentecostals who are thinking clearly, sometimes even Pentecostals get a little confused as to what this is, 
But on a day when a Pentecostal is thinking clearly, he or she knows that the baptism of the Spirit is empowerment to witness. See, Pentecostals thought, because Jesus was coming soon, that the reason that the baptism of the Spirit was for them was not so much for them, but for others. Pentecostals take very seriously what happens in the first couple chapters of the book of Acts. And Pentecostals will often start with what Jesus says to them just before he leaves. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says to them, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're already following me, but there's a moment now that's coming. And you will be my witnesses. If we had time, we would pick up this theme in Luke. Jesus said the Spirit was upon him so that he could witness to the kingdom of God. Now he says to his disciples, I'm going. The Spirit is coming. You now will be my witnesses. You will know you are talking to a Pentecostal who is thinking clearly. When he or she says to you, you know, baptism of the Spirit is allowing me to go beyond my natural abilities and telling other people about Jesus. Spirit baptism. So on the day of Pentecost, when the 120 begin to speak, you know, even at that moment when they are speaking in tongues, that was the first witness. All these Jews who had been scattered over the diaspora, who walked in Jerusalem with all the different dialects they had learned to speak from the lands they had been gathered from, even at that moment, the tongues was a witness but, it, but you'll notice that as you read the book of Acts, that they didn't continue to witness in tongues. They took the appearance of tongues to be the sign that something had happened to their tongue, their speech. <laughs> Look, the, the reason that Pentecostals think that what happens to your tongue and speaking in tongues is so important is it's connected. How, how else do you witness well unless something's happened to your tongue? <laughs> right. But it's Peter then who stands up because a crowd is gathered because 120 people are speaking in tongues. It's Peter who stands up and preaches this sermon in what was a, in front of what was a potential mob. Think about this now. There's no pre-evangelism. There's no music ministry. There's nothing. Peter stands up in front of a potential mob and tells them they need a change in their life. And 3,000 people made a decision that day to follow Jesus. That's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A fisherman who some months earlier said he didn't even know Jesus, lies, in front of a girl around a campfire, stands in front of a mob. And 3,000 people believed. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So this is important to Pentecostals. The gifts of the Spirit, another spoke in the wheel, are important to Pentecostals. And perhaps the gift that is most, uh, is most intriguing to most of us is the one that hits right at home, the gift of healing. There have been other church groups and movements who think that healing was something God did at the beginning to get the church started. Pentecostals think, well, God's still doing it. God is going to do at the end what he did at the beginning. God is still healing. In a Pentecostal church, you're going to notice that room is kept Room is, room is made for people to be prayed for, to be healed. And every time somebody is healed, 
in our church, in your church, in Pentecostal church, or anybody else's church. It is just another sign of what God is trying to do in the world, which is restore the world. Every time an individual is healed, it's a sign to the world that something has happened that shows that there is a better day coming. Now, so far, so far, no one has been healed in terms of being given immortality. So it's a sign. It's a moment to show that something else is happening, that, that the inevitable movement towards death that all of our life cycles spin towards because of the resurrection of Jesus, we're already participating in some of that. Some resurrection life comes in us, and diseases that are there sometimes go. Look, should the, should the Lord wait long enough? There will be memorial services for all of us. But healing is a moment where we know that we are part of something bigger. And when you are healed, it is meant to be an opportunity for you to say to a neighbor, somebody you go to school with, somebody you stand in line at Becker's with, while the person in front is playing every last dollar they have on the lottery. It gives you an opportunity to say, I am able to stand here forever today without pain in my back while somebody spends every dollar they've ever had on the lottery because Jesus healed my back. Healing. Holiness is another critical spoke for Pentecostals. Look, the Pentecostals came out of the holiness movement. But the Pentecostals took this very seriously because they thought because Jesus was coming soon, they wanted to be ready. The early Pentecostals then, and still today, set lines that they didn't think Christians should cross. You know, you can do these things, but you shouldn't do, you know, those things and those things. It's not because Pentecostals are against joy. It's because Pentecostals have found something in Jesus that is so precious, that has given them a different type of joy. They don't want to do anything to mess that up. You you would misunderstand a Pentecostal church to think that it's into legalism and policing, causing people to feel guilty. No, no, the Pentecostal desire for holiness was that they wanted to please Jesus. They wanted to know his joy and his pleasure. So through the years, Pentecostals have said, well, we won't do that. Look, if you were in the early years of Pentecostalism, they took holiness so seriously that you couldn't pretty well do anything except eat. I mean, pretty much it was just eating for the early Pentecostals about 110 years ago. Well, now some of the the codes and the rules have changed. But in a Pentecostal church, we still believe in being like Jesus because when we see him, we want him to be pleased with us. Okay, let's look at let's look at two more spokes. You good for another moment? So spirit baptism, gifts of the spirit, holiness, evangelism and missions. In any Pentecostal church, you're going to find these two emphases and they're slightly different. By evangelism, I mean what we do. By missions, I mean what the specialists do, the professionals do, those who get on boats and planes and, and leave us for a mission, evangelism. You know, in a good Pentecostal church, Pentecostal church that is thinking clearly, in a good Pentecostal church, the understanding is that the room is filled with evangelists. 
It's not just maybe the evangelist on staff or the evangelist on the radio, and it's not just the evangelistic side of the pastor. In a Pentecostal church, everyone is an evangelist. That's the whole point of Pentecostals calling themselves Pentecostal. If you believe, as the Pentecostals did, that the baptism of the Spirit is for everyone without distinction, no gender distinction, it's not just for men. No age distinction, it's not just for the young or, or for the old. No, no class distinction. It's not for certain races, certain socioeconomic groups. If you believe the baptism of the Spirit is truly for everyone, then the whole church are those who carry on the witness of Jesus. In a Pentecostal church, we think the greatest evangelists are those that are singing and praising and worshiping and praying. In fact, everyone We're not always so worried about our churches being the kind of church where somebody will want to give their heart to the Lord in. We are more concerned that the people who leave our churches will be the kind of people that, that attract people to Jesus. Uh, some of you are familiar with the term seeker-sensitive churches, those churches that work hard, and probably the Pentecostal church you're in today and the one that I'm standing in today certainly does, working hard at making visitors feel welcome. Look, I'm standing in a class of newcomers right now. But when we are thinking most clearly, we know that the primary way that people become interested in Jesus is from the witness of the lives of people who've been transformed by Jesus. But missions is something we also believe in because we think that everybody should have an opportunity to hear about Jesus before he comes. We think everybody should have the opportunity. So Pentecostal churches are those churches that work together to raise money and set up agencies and support systems so some people can leave us and get on boats and planes so that they can hear about Jesus before he returns. Okay, so there you go. Last comment before we conclude. That that rim of the wheel that we started with, experience with God, you will notice in a Pentecostal church, because we think this is important, we give room for people to experience the presence of God. Ever wondered why in a Pentecostal church they keep singing the choruses over and over and over again? Or a certain verse of a hymn, they'll come back to it. It's because in singing some of these things repeatedly, we are actually giving people an opportunity to experience what we're singing about. For us, it's not just, okay, well, we sang that. For us, it's, Lord, we believe these things are true. That's what we're singing about. And we believe they are so true. We believe that as we are singing them, and sometimes singing them again, that people are actually experiencing the salvation, deliverance, healing, joy, and victory we are singing about again and again and again. In a Pentecostal church, we are making room for people to experience the presence of God. Our sermons are designed to reach people where they live so that they can experience the transformation of God. At the end of the service, there is usually time for people to respond to the presence of God and receive prayer or moment of transformation. We do believe that God is still healing and touching and saving. And so in a Pentecostal church, you can expect that there is room, space and time made for that. To sum up what we said, in God's great plan of responding to human failure, restoring the world, he raises up churches and 
individuals and movements. The Pentecostal movement is one of those. Come, Lord, we pray. And would you find us doing what you called us to do when you come. Pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of MCS Pentecasts, podcasts produced by Master's College and Seminary. MCS Pentecasts are available online at mcs.edu and also through iTunes Podcasts. Master's College and Seminary offers biblical, theological, and practical courses from a Pentecostal perspective at both undergrad and graduate levels. For more information on graduate courses offered through Master's Pentecostal Seminary in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, visit mpseminary.com. For undergrad courses at Master's Pentecostal Bible College in Peterborough, Canada, please visit mcs.edu. 